What's happening, humans? Welcome to the First Step Theology Podcast, where we discuss our glorious God so that we all might love and enjoy Him in a greater way. We are today joined by Tim Charlies to discuss the value of church history. My name is insignificant in comparison to that of my co-host, whose very scent makes you dream of skipping through fields of sunflowers whilst being chased by a ravenous wolf. It's Luke Rasmussen. How are you, mate? <laughs> Very good. That's good. Very good. Is it because I have BO? So it's just like I smell like we've been running for our lives? It's just musky. It's musky. got that musky manly scent uh, that is calming and joyful at the same time. But also terrified because we're <laughs> running from a ravenous wolf. Are you well? Run for your lives. Yeah, exactly. Very good. I'm good. I I am very excited about this conversation. Yeah. And for people to hear this conversation. Yeah. Uh, that is no hyperbole because Tim Challies is an, in the words of Noah Hosking, mm. is an absolute jet. He is. And we are truly privileged to uh, have him join us for this mm. conversation and He's been so gracious in, in blessing our church in, in this way. So mm. we're excited for you guys to hear it. Before we get to that, yes, we just want to give you a, a little update on uh, the giveaway, the Stacks on Stacks giveaway <laughs> that is uh, ready and waiting for you on Instagram. Stacks on Stacks. And people have been... There. There. <laughs> <laughs> people have been there, had been a look, done we, some stuff, yep. and they're in the running. They so are why don't running. you why don't you be one of those people? They're running in and it's going nuts. Tagging, liking, commenting, yep. and asking questions for extra bonus uh, uh, entries. Yep, which is what you need to be about. Take like, share, comment. Yeah, big thanks to Reformers Bookshop for helping us out with that. And and uh, if you do want resources, we we talk about a bunch today. Then head to reformers.com.au and use our discount code First Step. For a cheeky 15% discount. Yeah, boy. One yeah. word, capital F, capital S. Should we get to Tim? Yeah. No no more dawdling, Luke. Nah, man. Let's get straight to it. Tim, thank you for uh, joining with us. We are we are very privileged to have you here and, and to be talking about the beautiful story of Christ's church and, and the historical faith that we have. And uh, in fact, one of the in some of our correspondence prior to this, you mentioned that you aren't an expert on this topic, but you're an enthusiast, and uh, that deeply encourages us because we are enthusiasts as well, but we are just less <laughs> experienced enthusiasts than you. So, so uh, thank you so much for jumping on. Why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about your story of of coming to faith in Christ uh, for yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I had the privilege of being raised in a Christian home. My parents were uh, saved into Pentecostalism, but very early in their Christian life, um, went to Switzerland and bumped into a guy called Francis Schaeffer and uh, started to understand non-Pentecostal theology through him, Reformed theology, and uh, sort of came back. They spent a year in uh, at, at Labrie learning about doctrine and came back to Canada fully convinced of Reformed theology. So I was raised in the uh, Reformed, Reformedish world, um, Presbyterian and Dutch Reformed worlds, sort of overlapping on and off. And later on, uh, became Baptist, Reformed Baptist. So, um, yeah, I was, I'm one of those fortunate ones who was raised in a Christian home and somewhere along the way, probably when I was in my teens, uh, was when I put my faith in Christ and uh, I believed and was saved. There you go. Wow, that... That is a story in itself. Even you know the, the link to Francis Schaeffer. I was going to ask you, was it with at Labrie? That's amazing. Did, did they reflect often in being a part of that community and, and all that was going on there? 
Yeah, we heard a lot about it, and certainly the uh, the Schaefer's deeply impacted them. To be fair, they spent some time at Swiss Libri and then spent the bulk of their time at English Libri, which at the time was being um, run by Schaefer's daughter and son-in-law, I think, or mm-hmm. something like that. But very formative years for them, and uh, really the time they came to understand sound doctrine. Wow. That's so cool. How could you not? <laughs> by the <laughs> grace of God. Yeah, that's really cool. There you go. And so uh, what are you up to today? Tell, tell us a bit of the landscape of what your life looks like at the moment. Yeah, so I am a writer by trade. I have a blog and I write books. Um, I used to be a traveler, but uh, this COVID thing happened and it's been quite a long time since I've uh, been able to go anywhere of any great interest. Mm. Um, I went from traveling uh, once a month doing a trip somewhere around the world to just hard stop. I haven't gone anywhere for ages. So it's been, a, it's been very jarring, mm. but at the same time, a real blessing. I've loved having extra bandwidth just to write and not living my life in the constant haze of jet lag and, and all that. So I've been really bearing down and writing books, writing blogs, and uh, very much enjoying that part of my life. I'm also an elder slash pastor at Grace Fellowship Church uh, nearby. I've been at that church for 16 years, been pastoring there for 10 or so eldering there however you prefer to say it mm-hmm. and i love being part of that community love being one of the uh the shepherds there yeah beautiful praise the lord mm. for those who are uh haven't been uh introduced to tim before certainly go and check out charlies.com which is just full of beautiful resources um and we have found deeply helpful yeah. and uh in fact i was telling my mother-in-law this morning that i was uh having a chat with you today and she had yet to be introduced to you, Tim. And um, so she kept referring to you as the cool guy that I'm talking to today. So we're here with the cool guy. Thanks, Karen, for the title. Clearly she got it. Yeah, she got she it, really yeah. understood yeah, what she I'm all about. She got the vibe. Yeah. 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 yeah, for sure. I reckon actually I was first introduced uh, to your content by some videos on YouTube of, I think, I can't remember the name of this, but it was like Great Sermon Series where you went mm, through yeah. and you kind of um, – uh, kind of like so semi-exegeted the um, different sermons and, and the importance of those sermons in time. And, um, oh, man, I found that to be huge. I, I loved that series. That was really good. So mm-hmm. if you're, you're listening yeah. and you're like, well, I reckon a good gateway um, <laughs> is, uh, is that series. That was really helpful. Yeah, totally. Well, uh, you mentioned uh, traveling, and uh, I know that your most recent traveling project was your epic – uh, documentary series and, and book and I don't mean that as a describing word that is the title of it epic and um, where you traveled the globe um, sort of explain to us what that project was about and and where people can find it as well yeah uh, a number of years ago I had the idea that it would be interesting to try to tell the story of the Christian church by way of historical objects. And so I started mapping out a series, just finding objects. Um, you know, I looked them up online, looked them up in catalogs all over the place and textbooks and found a bunch of objects and started writing about them. And then I had the idea, you know, it'd be extra cool if I could actually go and see all those objects and actually, you know, touch them, hold them, see them for myself mm. and started developing the idea. And eventually just had to set it aside because I lacked the means. Well, I had the enthusiasm. I lacked the means to be able to travel the world and track all this stuff down. And uh, no sooner had I done that than a group of people got in touch. who like to fund projects. And they said to me, Hey, is there anything you've ever wanted to do where you've had the enthusiasm, but you've lacked the funds? And I said, mm. you know, I got, I got just the thing. <laughs> yeah. And so they, uh, 
generously freed me up to be able to travel and to see all these things. And um, that turned into a documentary as well as a book. And it was just a huge blessing to be able to travel the world. I think we were in 24 different countries. Um, And just actually exploring the world, looking for these historical objects, finding them, holding them. Um, just some amazing experiences along the way. Uh, even got out to Australia mm. and uh, thoroughly enjoyed my time there. Nice. So yeah, I got to see the world. It was it was amazing and meet so many good Christians and see so many just awesome objects. Nice. So what did you learn through? Like, what were your big takeaways from from that? Yeah, um, I, I think I better understood the scope of what God is doing in the world, what He has done, and what He is doing. Um, and certainly the, the, the fact that the gospel has spread to the entire globe and being able to go to just about any country and finding some history there, mm. um, some little object that stands in for what the Lord has accomplished for, for the good of others and for his own glory, um, for the good of mankind. So it was a tremendous blessing. And, you know, part of it was finding the objects. The other great blessing was meeting the people. So you can go back and find, you know, the church in India was founded at this time, but here are, here's the fruit of that. It's not the objects, it's the people mm-hmm. and meeting the people, um, experiencing multicultural worship, experiencing just the differences and similarities between people all across the world was uh, just an incredible blessing. Yeah. Wow. Well. Yeah. That's cool. I think that's such a great reminder particularly the church in the West, to remember that we're just a small part of it. We're not the church. Mm. And, um, gee, that's a real good gift. I wanted to ask you earlier, you, you mentioned um, the the church community. You're, you're a part of Grace Fellowship and you're a pastor elder there. Um, you know, we're all going through quite odd times at the moment with this pandemic. What what are some things that you have, as a community have learnt through this and you, you've been finding that the Spirit has been sanctifying you um, yeah, through this all. Yeah, I think one of the things we've really wanted to emphasize is unity despite a lack of conformity. And so we don't want to be a church where everybody believes the exact same thing, because then we'd actually be a cult. Um, mm-hmm. We want people to be able to develop their own convictions, to um, to be able to hold to those convictions, and yet to have room for other people to hold the opposite conviction and then just to love one another. And I think the pandemic has been an opportunity for people to either practice that or the exact opposite of that. We've seen a lot of polarization where people are pulling apart from one another over their understanding of a virus or the proper response to the virus. But I think the gospel is especially displayed as as beautiful and powerful when we have unity despite uh, different beliefs. So unity and diversity, is that's what God does. That's what he specializes in. And it's been a real joy to see the people of our church largely really holding together and loving and affirming one another, even though people have very different convictions and mm-hmm. want to take very different, uh, you know, if they had to choose how the church would respond, we'd have people on polar opposites. And um, to see those people love one another and respect one another and affirm one another has been really encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. That's I. That's such a good reminder. Yeah. We, 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 we unify around Christ. And we, we unify that we are a people who are saved by Christ. Mm. And uh, and it is beautiful to see that we have different perspectives, different point of views, um, but yet are still unified. I think that's such a good yeah. testimony of the church. And so really in this day and age, more than ever we can show this truth. Mm. What a beacon to our world, hey? Yeah, big time. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, and I think we find that unity can be pretty fragile. We're not very, very careful, and we're not working towards unity. You don't just sit back and have unity. It has to be something you enact. It's like love. You don't just sit back and let love happen passively. You have to put yourself out there. You have to act in love. And unity is the same thing. You have to act in united ways toward one another. And uh, it's been a joy to see people in the church really stretching toward one another. And again, despite this messaging in society around that you should be pushing one another away. And there is great disunity in, in our culture, as I presume there is um, your part of the world as well, between people who want to take very different approaches. Mm. And I think it makes the gospel beautiful and we can see people truly united. Yeah. What are the practical ways that you as a pastor are encouraging people to sort of stretch towards one another in unity or what are the practical ways that you've seen even? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, we've preached on unity and we've preached on matters of conscience and we did that. That's something we've done before, but something we've emphasized again, just breaking away for a little series or even one-off sermons, just emphasizing those themes and just, just calling it, just um, letting people understand this is going to be a test of our unity. And we're not looking for conformity here. The pastors are not going to tell you this is what you need to believe about the virus. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I like to say we are not epidemiologists. <laughs> and actually, one of our elders is an epidemiologist <laughs> on, the, wow. post, on the doctoral level. So I can't I have to stop saying that now. But, sure. um, <laughs> yeah. you know, like we he gets offended when I keep saying that, but you know, that's not my job is to tell people what to believe about the pandemics. My mm -hmm. job is to teach them how to live as Christians and how to enact their, their convictions with love for one another. And so I think emphasizing that in the church has been beautiful and we're a very multicultural church and some understanding or response to the virus can be culturally directed as well. So again, just to see people loving one another, reaching out to one another, still, spending time together as best they can, fostering unity has been a, a tremendous encouragement. That's great. Yeah, that's Love beautiful. That. Well, you've traveled the globe. You've, uh, you've looked into the historical faith in a real practical uh, level. In fact, uh, your series Epic came out, what, early 2020, right? Any yeah. later that you wouldn't have been able to do that. It would have been uh, cut short, I imagine. Mm. And so... yeah. We wanted to chat to you and just sort of like pick your brain on why, uh, maybe we'll start from this point of view, why is it important for Christians, just uh, everyday uh, Christians going about their lives to actually consider and think about the story of, of the church throughout history? Yeah, I think the answer is surprisingly simple, which is the story of the church becomes your story when you become part of the church. And so the mm -hmm. history of Christianity is a history of Christians. When you become a Christian, that whole family history becomes your history and you're responsible to know it. You're responsible to respond to it. You're responsible to um, not repeat the mistakes or sins of the past. Mm -hmm. And so you can't know who you are without anchoring yourself in this story. There's this uh, sort of chronological snobbery, to borrow a term, um, that I think all Christians can fall into, which is thinking that essentially we are the first generation of Christians. I mean, we know mm -hmm. that's not the case, but we can act like that's the case. And um, we know we're not thinking that way anymore when a, a problem arises in the church. And our first instinct is to say, well, let's look to history and see what Christians have, how they've responded to this in the past. And you find there aren't a lot of novel problems. Talking about epidemics. I mean, there, there have been many epidemics in church history. And our first instinct should be to go back and say, 
how have Christians responded in the past? That doesn't mean they were necessarily right, mm. but probably they were right more often than not, and we can learn from them. Mm. Absolutely. It's extending your counsel, isn't it? Because I find going back and looking at history, you've, we've got the blessing of hindsight, so we can see in their thinking through and they're working out their theology uh, in that manner. It, it causes you to be able to go, oh, and it, it, was, it worked. Okay, so how can I learn how they thought it through and, and how what they've believed about these things have impacted the way they've made these decisions. So, yeah, mm. I like the idea. It's extending your counsel. You, you're, you're, mm. you're talking to wise heads who have written about it throughout all of history. Yeah, for sure. And experience the same sufferings and troubles and trials that we have yeah. in, in different contexts and at different times, but still with the same gospel and the same Jesus. Yeah. How do you... Yeah. Sorry, go on. I was just going to say, you can save yourself a lot of time too. If you think I need to start over, I'm the first person who's ever lived through a pandemic. I'm the first person who's ever had to figure out how to respond to it. You can save a lot of time just by looking back and seeing what resources the church already provides through its history. And as pastors with a lot of things on your mind, a lot of things to do, it can be great to find, hey, there are resources that can get me well on my way to putting together a theology of living through a pandemic. Absolutely. How do you uh, recommend that we fight, and, and I don't just mean uh, Luke and I, but we as Christians fight the um, almost the attitude that everything that's gone before us is wrong? <laughs> Because we certainly experience that. Maybe it's a generational thing. I don't think it necessarily is. But we either think that we are the first Christians or that we are the first Christians to get it right, mm. both of which are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's just developing humility. And humility comes by studying God's word and by understanding who we are before the Lord, of course. But I think humility is also just looking back and and reading, studying the past. And mm. I think one of the big things you take away from as you study history is there are no perfect people. There are some very good people in church history, but they were also invariably deeply flawed. Mm. Um, you, you can't find a historical hero who doesn't have something in them where you think, man, I just don't know how he ever could have believed that. How could he have been so right on these issues and so wrong on that one? How could he have been so blind? Um, so if you're if you're not thinking about it well, then you end it there. If you are thinking about it well, it makes you think, so what are my issues that I'm just not seeing? How will history judge me just as harshly as I judge him? How will history say, how on earth could that guy believe that? How could he have not seen that, that massive plank jutting out of his eye there? Um, so I think a good study of history will lead to humility and, and help us. Yeah. Just live humbly before the Lord and humbly before others. Mm. That's good. Um, you, you were speaking about earlier about um, if I take a step back of uh, different, like as, as pastors or even, you know, just looking back at church history to, um, you know, gain insight on, on what's going on in the world today. How if someone is, is, is wanting to go and uh, learn and, and look at these people and, and, talk, and specifically around specific issues that are going on, so for example, this pandemic and stuff like that, how do you recommend people to go and f how, how do you recommend for people to go and find these authors, especially with specific things? Because sometimes we're talking about thousands of years, well, you know, a thousand <laughs> and a bit years of, of church history. Like how do you... Where do you start? Yeah, where do asking. you start? Yeah, yeah, so it's very convoluted. Yeah. 
I think anchoring yourself in history, getting a broad overview of history is helpful. Mm -hmm. um, so you can kind of know the main, the main sweep of history, the main storylines, the main characters. That's a good place to begin. Um, you can start to know who your safe people are, who the people are who just developed theology in, in helpful ways. And then maybe from that broad overview of history, you can start to pick up particular eras where you know diseases or, or pandemics or whatever were sweeping through uh, the country, sweeping across the world. Uh, sometimes, I mean, honestly, just Google is your friend as well. There's so many good resources available online. One of the greatest things Google ever did was their Google Books project where they just started scanning all the world's books into onto the internet and just dumping them out there. I found so many incredible resources just through the search engine. And then you can get the whole book in PDF and read to your, your heart's content. So um, another way is just to ask people who are more uh, versed in history than you are. So if you know a professor or somebody else who just knows their church history, that can be a very good place to begin. I've got a few people that I, might look up and ask them for help like that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I, I like what you're saying about we should aim to be versed. You know, like sometimes what we can do is go, oh, the answer is here. We need to get into church history. And then you, you go through that mentality of like, okay, I'm just going to immerse myself like in it because to try and find an answer. But if we are people who are uh, understand that our, our, his, our, our faith is historical, it's so helpful to then be able to go and go, oh, that's right. We can look at, you know, this pandemic and this time, who were the people around that time? You know, and you, you've kind of already got a little bit of a... Um, framework. Yeah, framework to, to, to go to, um, which, yeah, I think is so important. So, so on that note, how, how then can we, can we do that? How, how can we... So I'm a, I'm a parent. I've got, I've got three daughters Maybe let's just go from the bare basics. How, do you think it's something that we could start with our children at an early age of, of helping them to understand church history and things like that? Yeah, my parents uh, or my mom especially would often say that she's learned history through children's books and she enjoys reading children's books about history because they only give the essential information. They don't get all hung up on the giant theological controversies or the, <laughs> yeah. the, the fine details. Mm. They just give you the, the essentials about the life of that person or that, that point in history. So it's a great place to begin. And there's lots of good resources. Christian Focus Publishers especially really focuses a lot of their attention on resource, historical resources for children, Reformation Heritage Books has a good number as well. And so there are fantastic resources. So if you're just reading that to your kids, you're well on the way and maybe you might spark something in them as well. But it's a, it's a closely guarded secret in the publishing world that kids' books are actually written for the parents. That's, that's the audience. So if you're reading one of those big picture story Bible books that's meant to teach biblical theology to your kids, it's actually meant to teach it to the parents, right? I mean, that's mm. that's the joy is the parents are getting that as they're reading it to the kids. The parents are getting the ideas. Kids forget it all. You know, they're just kids. But the <laughs> parents start to get the ideas. And this, I think it's very true in history as well. The parents gain as much as the kids. Mm. So that's a good place to begin. And then there's church history surveys. History, uh, church History in Plain Language by Shelley is a, a classic. It's fine. It's a good book. It, they keep coming out with new versions and I'm getting a little more suspicious as time goes on. And mm -hmm. there are multiple authors who have now taken that book and edited it and stuff. It's maybe not exactly the way it was. There's some great courses on iTunes U um, from Reformed Theological Seminary. There's good material at Ligonier Ministries. They've got teaching series. 
we got no, if we want to know it, we got tons of resources, no mm. excuse not to know it mm. if it's of interest to us. That's good. As a parent, how, how have you approached that with your kids? Or do you, do you think it's valuable to teach church history, even just from the, the starting point? I do, but none of my kids were particularly interested in it. Mm. And so, you know, you try a bunch of different things with your kids and you try and in the end, I think, follow their interests to some degree. Mm. And yeah, none of them had a tremendous interest in it. So um, it wasn't a major priority for us as parents or a major emphasis. Um, we did tons of reading together, we went through many books, many a lot of good material. But in the end, we read probably more fiction than nonfiction as a family. Mm. And um, yeah, kids are going to Bible college and stuff, so they're kind of getting it a bit later on. But um, because they didn't have a huge interest in it, we didn't spend maybe as much time on it as we otherwise might have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Mm. I like that. Force feeding doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, you're going through Narnia at the moment with your what six year old? We've uh, yeah, we've just finished Narnia, and we uh, oh, you finished. Oh yeah, well, congratulations! Thank you, sir. I'm actually <laughs> in the hunt for a, a good series. I've got a six year old daughter. Um, she loves her fiction, and she's a great reader. Mm. Um, do you have any recos off the top of your head? <laughs> just on a personal note. Just on a personal note. <laughs> yeah, we read the Narnia series. We read The Hobbit, Lord yes, of the Rings. The, yes, The Hobbit. That's good, yep. And Anne of Green Gables is a fantastic book. It's maybe just more for like a 10 or 12-year-old, but we, mm-hmm. we loved reading that book together. We read so many books um, as a family. I can't even remember them all. Farley Mowat, good Canadian author, just on and on. Mm. There you go. You got some tips for you. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I'm on. I'm always on the prowl for something. <laughs> She's into these um these horse books and stuff at the moment. So, uh, you know, I'm not enjoying reading them so so much. <laughs> so I'm like, if we can find something else, that'd be good. Anyway, that's that's on. A yeah, I mean, it's a parent's dream to be able to read Lord of the Rings to your kids. They have to be at that <laughs> yeah. certain age. And yeah. what we found was when the oldest kid, like the oldest kid and youngest kid, never wanted to have the same books mm-hmm. and so there's a sort of sweet spot where the youngest was young enough she didn't really care but then she got older and now yeah it was just the kids couldn't agree on what books to read and so it got more difficult over time but you know you get these little windows where they can all agree on something and you can just settle in on a cold winter's evening which maybe you don't have as many of as we do but <laughs> it's still uh, cold book it's, together it's just we get wet and not snow yeah that's right it's all yeah. relative relative cold yeah for sure yeah no that's true very true. I, 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 um, one of my good friends, uh, his dad would sit down at, as a family and I'd get all the kids gather around the fire and they would read whatever book was the flavor of the time. And uh, we we're talking about like the different moments that were impacting for us as kids, like, you know, as with our parents. And it's funny, like the things that we as parents were like, oh, we've got to organize this huge epic holiday or whatever. But the, one of the most important aspects of his childhood was that his dad would sit down with them and read these stories with them. Mm. He, he had such fond memories of reading, like particularly uh, The Hobbit with his his dad, and that all just sit there and just, you know, just, yeah. So uh, it is so important to just create those little moments, and it's funny how books play a real important part of that because we're so narrative-driven in the way we function. Mm. Yeah. Those are precious moments. We, we look back very fondly at reading all those books together, and I think The Hobbit's probably your next book, my friend. I, yeah. I think so. so yeah. you've, you've heard it from the from Tim himself. Yep, done. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I think to use just that that moving story, 
often when I think uh, through church history, and specifically if I'm reading, uh, you know, one of our forefathers or um, who have gone before us, is I like to consider it with that sort of approach. It's almost like sitting in front of the fire and and letting J.C. Ryle explain the Gospel of John to me or mm. whatever it is, and and because these are people who have gone before us and and lived real lives that are are not you know ethereal or uh, fantastical yeah but they had the same pressures and anxieties that that um that we face today uh tim for you in in all your enthusiast experience uh traveling the globe and whatnot what ministries or people or uh, periods of history have been specifically uh moving or shaping for you and your your walk with jesus sure let me approach that two ways first I totally agree with what you said about a guy like Ryle being able to sit down and become friends through your through the books is an mm-hmm. amazing experience. And J.R. Miller, Theodore Kyler, F.B. Meyer, these writers from contemporaneous to Ryle are are my friends. Mm-hmm. I've spent endless hours with them, especially over the last year. I've read thousands of pages of their works and they're my friends and I just can't wait to get to heaven and thank them for all the ways oh, they've impacted yeah. me and start making it a two-way relationship rather than a, <laughs> yeah. very much a one-way. <laughs> but I've really come to know them through their writings and um, just absolutely treasure that relationship. I'm so grateful for, for those who have gone before. Um, as it pertains to to the travels and and all that, I, I really found... Um, a lot of joy in studying Amy Carmichael and then following her trail through Ireland and then down to India and really just found a lot of kinship with her. There's some connection there um, that I just really enjoyed learning about her and seeing her ministry still in action today. Um, that was a real encouragement. I love the, the Reformation period. That's always been a special interest to me. And partly it's just so accessible. You go over to Europe and there's just so much of that history there still. It was so pivotal in European history that they preserved a lot of it. There's a lot of sites to go to, a lot to see. As you get a little bit further back in history, there's a lot less that remains of it. A lot of that history has been lost. The objects are gone, mm. the buildings, towns are destroyed. So um, there's just something so tangible about being able to see these things and stand where that person stood and um, just imagine much more. This is where he was and this is how he behaved here. I, I just really enjoy that. Yeah. Being able to um to hold the Bible, Amy Carmichael's Bible, being able to hold it and read through it and read her notes or George Mueller sitting at his desk, holding his Bible, reading uh, some of the notes he had written in there and stuff. That's these, these are special experiences. Mm. How moving. Yeah, it is. Just out of interest, you mentioned you came to Australia. What was the location yeah. or the, the objects that you were here for? Yeah, we were uh, in Sydney and we were just um, looking for first fleet kind of objects and um, then over to New Zealand trying to just trace the history of Christianity in that area. Um, Probably the most special thing we found, really nothing to do with Australian history, which was uh, King James Bible and uh that we found there our first edition king james and uh that was really neat to see we'd seen them around the world but this was one we could actually interact with and that was really Mm. really neat yeah wow that's cool yeah very cool (laughs) brilliant (laughs) now let's have a let's have a chat in terms of like the impact of uh our historical faith faith on our practicing 
of our historical faith, of our Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, uh, I know you've done a bit of writing on this in the past and in terms of our spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices as Christians. If we were to uh, look at that from a historical perspective, how has an understanding or an awareness of how the church throughout history practised discipleship and fellowship of Jesus impacted or how does it impact your following of Jesus? I think one of the things you you realize as you study history is that we have a lot of privileges today that other Christians have not had. So when we talk about the importance of a daily quiet time of spending time reading the Bible and, and praying and meditating and blocking off large amounts of time to do that and feeling guilty if we cut it short and all that, we, you know, when you look at that objectively or you look at that through history, you realize, you know, there's been many, many generations of Christians who are basically or completely illiterate or who had no access to the Bible. The fact that I've got, I've got Bibles everywhere. Um, and that doesn't even include, you know, my phone where I've got all the Bibles I could ever want. That is historically unusual. That's the yeah. exception, not the rule in history. And so when we think we can draw rules about what's really, really important, what it means to be a good Christian. But those rules are trapped in a a specific culture at a specific time, specific privileges. Um, So I think in studying history, then you you get to be honest. You you have to be honest and realize, well, illiterate people were still Christians, people who didn't have the Bible back in the day when before the printing press, Bibles were rare and expensive, but people were still Christian. So um, maybe personal fellowship with the Lord looked a little different back then. Mm. Uh, maybe they had to carry smaller amounts of the Bible, but carry it in their mind instead of in a, you know, slap between two pieces of leather or something mm. along those lines. So, um, yeah, I think it just it changes the way you look at what we consider normal and essential. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, talk about a perspective change. Like, you know, we can very much, uh, you know, get so caught up in our our time and and and, and you know and, and judge from that point of view. But the, that's a real good blessing from church history. Is you know, yeah, they 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 would have just been grateful to have half of what we have. Mm. And so we really shouldn't take that for granted as well. Like, we should really try and um, you know use that opportunity. To, to grow and to learn and to, to really enjoy Christ through those gifts of history as well. Mm. Well, yeah. And even if you study the history simply of the Bible in English, uh, you realize how much pain, how much suffering mm. went into something we take for granted. When, when was the last time we really thought about how precious the Bible is, mm. um, how unusual it is, how amazing it is that we can have, again, not just, a copy of the Bible, but as many as we want. Um, people suffered and died to give us that Bible. There are eras in history where people were pleading and begging for a copy of the Bible, would have done anything to get hold of one. And yet we throw out more Bibles than they could ever have possibly imagined. It's, it's crazy. Mm. Mm. It's a nice gentle rebuke when we leave it <laughs> catching dust as well, right? Mm. So yeah. what we're saying is we as Christians should look into science of um creating time machines, going back, collecting all of these old Bibles and taking it back to the older generation. Right. Is, that, is that your mission field, is it? <laughs> this is the, the call of the Lord, way heavy on me for this one. Bless you, man. <laughs> back to the future. Four. 
<laughs> Tim, what practices for you have been specifically integral to your walk with Jesus? You know, I think just the essentials. The Lord uh, gives us his means of grace. He doesn't let us choose how we're going to relate to him. We don't get to just freestyle this. He tells us <laughs> how he will relate to us and how mm. we ought to relate to him. So he gives us very, very precious, but very ordinary means of grace, word, prayer, fellowship, right? We read the word, we pray to God, and we join into the local church community or fellowship. And that's how God extends his grace to us. So um, what's been precious to me is for the last maybe 10 years or so, my basic habit has been to get up in the morning and go for a walk while listening to the Bible and then to pray um, while I'm out walking. Um, I use an app on my phone to help direct my prayers, just tell me what to pray for next. And yeah, that's my essential spiritual discipline right there. And then of course, serving in the local church as a member of the church, but also as a pastor in the church, joining in fellowship, um, knowing and being known. Um, the Christian life on, on one level really isn't that complicated. God mm. tells us what, what we ought to do, what we ought to expect. And uh, if we just embrace those means, God will bless us. Yeah. Yeah, it's totally. True. One of the things that uh, I've been personally quite challenged on recently uh, in relation to that is the, uh, the simplicity of uh, our faith that is so often bombarded by the complexity of our lives and, uh, and our world as well. Uh, like even just personally, just thinking through the amount of consumption that this little brain is enduring throughout the day without actually stopping and, and meditating on God's word. Like, uh, so a very practical challenge for me has been I spend my time in I'm going through Psalms at the moment and uh, studying a Psalm a day and, and how often throughout that day do I then go back and reflect mm, on that psalm on. in the morning and think on it and meditate on it. And, and I've been truly challenged by the, the Puritans who, who were so strong in their meditation and, and their solitude and providing time and space, especially in a world that, uh, and not that we blame that, but um, that we are bombarded with information. Mm. And then the, 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 you know, anxieties as well as the pressures that we have naturally as parents and and if we're working jobs or uh you know doing the many things that we do is uh this we often don't create space for that mm. yeah what what about you luke what what has been um an integral spiritual practice for you or what are you being challenged on at the moment in that space yeah i, I think i would agree with you in that we've we just had our our third daughter so i've just found my normal rhythm of getting up early it's a bit broken because uh, sleep is so broken. And so I have been learning to fight to find moments of um, solitude throughout the day. I'm like, I can find that I am constantly wanting to just like, you know, listen to as many books as possible and, you know, do, do things, you know, like have heaps and heaps of inputs, but then not reflect and, and take it to my relationship with God rather than just it's an informational good thing. And so um, I've just been finding just the practice of stopping, reflecting, uh, journaling on those things, and and um, yeah, just chewing on scripture throughout the day. I I, I think I'm kind of a very similar point mm. to where you've there been you at. Yeah, unplanned but unplanned. consistent. <laughs> That's how we roll, better. <laughs> there you go, Tim. To wrap things up, um, as people are thinking through uh, the story of the church, how would you sort of encourage people? to approach uh, 
maybe just starting out to sort of understanding the history of the church, approach it in a way that is Christ-glorifying and, and seeing, uh, because with, with any study of whether it's academic or theological, is there is always the um, temptation to you know puff ourselves up with knowledge. How, what would you be encouraging people in in terms of how they approach this sort of thinking? Yeah, I think to approach humbly, um, wanting to be challenged personally, not just to accumulate information. Well, it's good mm-hmm. to accumulate information, but um, to really learn how you fit in, to learn who your family is, and again, orient yourself in the history of the church and what the Lord has been doing for all this time. Um, I think it humbles you as well in the sense that you're just a very small part of what God's doing. And um, there have been countless millions or hundreds of millions of Christians, a few make a name for themselves. The great majority live and die in obscurity and are gone and, Mm. um, you know, never remembered by man anymore, (laughs) but never forgotten by God. And, and that's okay. We can live very faithful, very obscure lives and just live out our short little life here, honor God the best we can and go off to enjoy paradise forever. And, um, well and good. That's all that God requires of us, right? Is just to be to be faithful. So um, I, I tell people just to approach history humbly and, and expectantly in that way, expecting to be challenged, expecting to. Um, I, 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 there's this great series called, I actually keep it right here, 2000 Years of Christ's Power by Nick Needham. Mm. And uh, I think he, I think that's what it's called. Yeah, 2000 Years of Christ's Power. I think he nails it in the title. That when we're studying church history, we're not just studying cold historical facts. We're studying what Christ has done. Mm, We're studying the the unfolding of what God is doing in this world. Um, It picks up where the Bible leaves off. Church history does. And uh, it just tells how God has been exercising his power, drawing his people to himself, glorifying his name. So if you're looking at history, church history, very coldly in a very sterile way, it's just a bunch of facts, a bunch of interesting happenings. But if you look at it through Christian eyes, you just see God unfolding what he's doing in this world and you get to glorify and praise him for it. That's beautiful. Amen. We appreciate you. Thank you so much, Tim. And Mm. uh, yeah, we really, it's a real privilege to have you on and, and uh, we're praying for you over in the, on the other side of the world, it's bedtime for you almost. So uh, we'll let you go. (laughs) Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Bless your family. Thanks mate.